0: This conference will now be recorded.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Alpha Podflight, the podcast where every episode I'm joined by guests and we talk about a single copy of the comic Alpha Flight single issue of the Comic Alpha Flight. Um, This time I'm joined by Anthony. Anthony, could you explain to the listeners who you are?
0: Well, hi there, listeners. My name is Anthony Kuchar.
1: Um, I am a comic
0: book uh, critic writer. I write for DC in the 80s um, on uh, DC in the 80s blogspot. I'm also a theater student, and I'm interested in working in theater in Canada, uh, especially
1: here in Niagara.
0: So yeah, that's kind of what I'm all about.
1: Cool. Well, thank you for coming on. And the comic that we're going to talk about today is Alpha Flight Annual Number One. While I was saying that, I was trying to remember if there's anything else I normally say at this point, but I don't think there is. I think we just just do that. So, <laughs> so, so if you so Alpha Flight <laughs> Annual Number One uh, came out in 1986. Uh, it's called Homebody. Bill Matlow was on script, Larry Strowman did layouts with Jerry Tallawatt on finishes. Uh Janice Chang did the letters, Bob Sharon did the colours, Carl Potts edited, and Jim Shooter was the editor in chiefing, as he's listed here. Um could you give a it's um it's double size obviously because it's an annual, so it's a giant it's giant size, it's quite big. Um could you give a rundown of what happens in the comic? Okay.
0: So first of all, we start off um, on page one. We got a nice, really big splash page of um, the uh, Tamarand Island uh, mansion that Alpha Flight is. uh, That's their main operations at this point. And uh, we start off like we have a little um, paragraph right at the top. It sort of gives a description and then a narration that says, I am alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's very ominous. These two, yeah. uh, two narration boxes go at the same time, haven't we? So we've got the, the one, the red-bordered one, which is uh, sort of a, a speaking voice, and then we've got the, the red normal red narrator red. who appears every now and again. Um, sorry, I've just jumped in right on top of you. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's
0: right. Um, so, yeah, the red box, we don't really know who it is. It's an unseen individual for most of the first, I'd say, two-thirds of the comic, and then we kind of, like, unless you sort of... N- kind of have, uh, you've read some earlier issues and might not, you probably have a guess about who it is. Um, But, uh, yeah, so it's an unseen presence, very ghostly. So then, uh, going into the comic, um, the narration starts to talk about, you know, what has become of me and uh, kind of like flies in, we kind of have this point of view shot that we fly in through the front doors of the house, uh, talking about um, how they feel the presence uh, are they dead? Uh, it can't be that I'm dead. So then they kind of, uh, fly through the front door and then sort of into the living room. Well, more like dining room area. And, uh, we've got all of Alpha Flight as of the book currently right now. And they're kind of sitting down for dinner and uh, it's actually a very nice little scene. Um, actually I like it a lot because it sort of gives you an idea about like what all the personalities are at this time in yeah. the book. Um, get a lot of like visual sort of choreography going on. You've got Heather who's sort of serving dinner. Um, Tuck's reading a little book, which we find out later is a Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh-huh. Uh, he's chit-chatting with Mr. Jeffries. Um, and then on the other side of the table, we've got Box and uh, Aurora and they're kind of like swooning around each other. And then on right directly across from him on the other side of the table, we've got North Star, kind of looking a little, um, Bored, I guess, but also he's
1: glowering, isn't he? Because he doesn't approve of Aurora and Roger's relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that really comes across. He's got definitely got this like unimpressed look on his face. Um, Yeah. And then we got uh, we've got um, Shaman, who's just sort of like standing at the window and sort of looking out into the darkness.
1: Yeah, Um, he's detached from humanity now, isn't he? because um, he started uh, are you familiar with what's going on because he's got his um, black and white costume on as well
0: yeah leading up to this yeah than what I've normally seen so like what happened to him at this point I'm not
1: really sure so um, leading up to this what's happened is that um, talisman his daughter took on the role of the talisman and it sort of robbed her of her humanity and part of him saving her was taking on the role of talisman himself and part of that means wearing that Uh, tiara Uh, it's like got a red gem on it and a yellow band so part Mm -hmm. of that and and taking on that means that he's closer to the spirit world but it also means that he um, is detached from humanity so he's less and less human the longer he wears it
0: so is he sort of like becoming
1: like kind of like a god or something like that sort of like how um, like Snowbird is Um, no it's not really got it's more attuned to uh to the earth and and the spirit world, but he hasn't got like god powers, but he has more control over like native spirits uh and they don't show it very much in this particular comic I think there's one or two instances of it but um so he is more powerful but he's less human with it um uh is is an interesting way for the character to have gone he's much grimmer um and uh but also less prone to um, doing a shaman. So I don't think he makes any substantial mistakes in this comic. Uh, we'll double check as we go through, but um, no, may, maybe being the talisman and saved him from himself a little bit. Um, yeah, that's an uh, interesting kind of idea. Cause like, you know,
0: I think as you've pointed out in the past, um, shaman kind of, he's sort of um, like the stereotypical trope of like the ni- wise sort of native man who knows mm. all, and, you know, he, he in to- he's in tune with the earth, and yet the comic in its way sort of subverts that because you've pointed out he makes a lot of mistakes over the past. Yeah, um,
1: yeah a lot of mistakes, but, um, including, because I mean, he ended up with the the, uh, the tiara because he told Talisman to wear it uh, and then told her afterwards that she'd never be able to take it off again and she was stuck being Talisman. So, uh, yeah, that's just one example of, of Shaman fluffing up. Uh, but yeah, so that's Shaman and who else is? Uh, that's oh, apart from Snowbird, Snowbird's in there as well, and she's being uh, very quiet because oh, the other thing that you wouldn't have if you haven't read the issues leading up to this, and uh, no spoilers for a 1986 comic, is that she married Doug um, from the earlier burn run, and they had a mm-hmm. child, but that child turned into a baddie called Pestilence, and uh they over a number of issues they fought him and doug ended up getting killed so she's now a widow who's lost her child so she's even more detached from from uh humanity than she was before and she mentioned it later on but they don't dwell on it because because it's an annual they just sort of uh punt their way (laughs) through the plot a little bit more and they actually spend more time developing aurora and Box's relationship than they do anybody else's
0: um, yeah yeah because like um, Aurora you know it's really interesting in this issue like there's a actually I, I made a note there's a couple of times where she's got painting glamour shots of herself up on the wall and I don't yeah. know if those are like uh, blown up painting uh, pictures or they're actually like portraits of her Yeah. Um, but I like it because it really does add like a bit of flavor to the mansion like and also kind of like makes her sort of look a bit like an egotist
1: yeah yeah uh, and that's it exactly, yeah. Um uh, but they're all having dinner. Heather's Heather's fussing about making sure they've all got food. Um North Star says some pretty terrible things about Roger Box. Uh he makes an offhand comment that um Snowbird should turn into Sasquatch to teach Aurora what a real man would do, which is a really weird way to go about this. Um and then um uh, moving on from there. Oh, we go back to the ghost. So the ghost is moving through the house, having observed Alpha Flight having dinner.
0: Yes, and it, the spirit is kind of talking about how like this is their house. So this is already kind of given the reader who might not be familiar um, with previous stories. Because like, there's a good chance, because I don't know about you, but like whenever I see an annual, I kind of like to pick them up maybe more than a regular issue, just because hmm. it sort of seems like It's sort of like the gym Shooter mentality to the max, where it's like, you know, this is like, if you're only going to buy one Alpha Flight comic this year, this is the one you buy. Absolutely, yeah. So, like, yeah, we're kind of given a little bit of a clue that, oh, you know, whoever this disembodied voice is is somebody who used to own or live in this house. So it's like, it's a ghost story. And we're kind of encouraged to maybe find out, like, uh, who used to be the owner. Um, so the spirit flies through the, the hallways and it goes down the secret elevator into their little laboratory slash pool and workout area um, and uh, kind of like flies over the computer console, the little, um, little table there. And somehow the spirit is able to actually access the computer um, and starts pulling up data on all the members of Alpha Flight. And the the uh the spirit is talking about how uh they would encountered uh, the spirit had, uh, she'd encountered um two members of alpha flight before and yep. one of them was aurora
1: yeah and then there was this sasquatch who uh the ghost laments is now dead because death is too good a fate um yeah uh, so that's the ghost. Oh, and then the ghost does a really cool thing, which is make the entire house shake. The the mansion alpha screams uh, with a blood curdling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: which causes, yeah, that's a really great.
1: <laughs> which causes um, everyone to fall over at the table. Uh, it, they think it's an earthquake or an attack. And uh react in the alpha flight way uh and then we go back to the ghost flicking through the computer banks and looks at there's a really nice shot of um profiles of different villains
0: yeah Um, yeah we can see a lot lot of uh, we got deadly earnest there um is
1: that pink pearl at the top pink pearl um and then mixed in with like more famous uh, sorry, not more famous, but less Alpha Flight baddies such as Doctor Doom, uh, Mephisto, Modok, Rhino, and a few others that I can't quite make out because they're quite uh, quite loosely done. I think
0: is that Scramble above above Mephisto and like
1: beside Deadly Earnest? It might be, yeah. That's a good shout, actually. Yeah, it's the original Scramble, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So, yeah, Scramble, kind of a pretty famous guy to Alpha Flight. Um, And then eventually uh, the spirit sort of locks in on one particular villain profile, and it's Diablo, um, master of alchemy, and as the spirit says, my love.
1: Yeah. So the spirit was the lover of Diablo. Yes. So, Um, so, I mean, if you've read the previous issues, you probably know who it is by now. Uh, If not it's still an interesting mystery as to who could be um well also because the, the next thing you see is the ghost starts mixing uh chemicals in the secret alchemy lab um which makes uh an electric demon yeah which uh, it says here down... an,
0: an electrical elemental so it's sort of like yeah, yeah we're kind of getting into the into diablo's sort of world here, his his alchemy world and then the yeah. little the little demon who I don't know. It reminds me a lot. Uh, there was an old episode of the Transformers, the old 80s cartoon um, yeah. called Prime Zeke. Do you remember that?
1: No, that's not one of my fair, uh, fields of expertise, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there was like an old episode where, um, I don't know how, but like Megatron had created this little electrical demon thing, and it just ran around Japan causing chaos. And <laughs> okay. It was kind of like one of the more like really absurd, kind of comedic episodes of that show
1: right okay and, the other uh, thing just... it reminds me of is um, the original Scooby-Doo uh, the intro to that and the like an electric monster in that sort of looks a bit like that to me
0: oh yeah 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 definitely I can see that yeah it's it's kind of a trope having a little electrical monster it was just <laughs> sort of a thing that was like around for a while and you don't really see it too much anymore
1: no I'll tell you what else there's on this page you don't see too much anymore and that's the word single word modem phone
0: <laughs> yes yes this is a pre-internet world we're dealing with here like the uh oh, not it. only not only does the ghost actually have like the ghost actually has to dial up where they where uh where he, she's going to send the um little electrical demon yeah and so she goes ahead and sends him through the phone lines straight to uh as we go new york at yep. the prison they've got there and uh, the at the pho- at the prison they pick up the phone and uh, demon comes right through, um, zaps around the prison and then finds the uh, the jail cell of Diablo, who is pretty surprised at this, and he's calling for the guards to kind of like help him out, but then he sort of realizes that uh, it's actually an electrical elemental and he kind of knows all about that. But he's sort of shocked because like nobody but himself would probably know how to make one although he's starting to kind of get an idea that there might only be one other person that he would have taught that to yeah and uh then right after that uh the demon sort of zaps up diablo and they go flying right through the phone lines again back up through canada
1: it's got a a nice little thing there where it gets the the we see the phone lines as he goes past the uh entering canada border gates <laughs> just in case we weren't sure that he was going back to canada yeah uh, and i mean and just for the record like there were probably i mean
0: even to this day like there was probably um there have been many instances like the border is very like loose in some places between us yeah. and canada and like it's not like uh yeah it, it's definitely even to this day there's still like border crossings that are probably about as like They've just got a little piece of plywood kind of arm that kind of comes down right there. <laughs> uh, like a little pick, like a tiny little picket fence that doesn't even come up to the guard's shoulder. Yeah. Um, so, and there yeah, there have been actually many instances of people accidentally going into Canada or Americans coming over here by accident. Um, <laughs> definitely more, yeah, definitely along the, um, like, the parallel. So, uh, like, over the prairie provinces, that happens. Yeah. So... We, uh, so anyway, we get to, uh, we see kind of like, a we pan up to like a global shot. We see the phone lines zip zapping across the country, and then we kind of go into an underground, uh, underwater cable pipe, uh, that takes yeah. them back to the island in, Ber- in British Columbia. Um, by this point, Alpha Flight has kind of gone back downstairs and they're kind of, Jeffries is checking the computer to seeing like what's going on. Are they being attacked or anything like that?
1: yeah uh, and they've they've suited up as well so north star Pack vindicator uh in their costumes shaman already was mr jeffries has suited up by rolling up his sleeves <laughs> um because he hasn't i don't think he's ever had a suit uh which is one of the reasons why i love him so much uh, but yeah so he's he's tapping away on his computer um uh they have a little conversation about shaman wearing the tiara not eating or sleeping and being less human and then they decide to go and search for any intruders um uh, and at that point they all leave the room mr jeffries goes to touch the computer and gets electrified by the computer and then trapped in a lift with the ghost sort of uh has trapped him in that by this point, have we found out that the ghost is the actual house?
0: I mean, yeah, I think it's kind of like implied that like the ghost is sort of possessing the house because yeah, like, as, as we know, um, the, uh, the ghost was a, had used this house for nefarious purposes for a long time. And I think kind of had like a, was very deeply tied into the geography and like the landscape of this house. It kind of reminds me, and I haven't seen this show yet, but um, have you seen The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. So I haven't quite seen it yet, but I, I from what I gather from people who've seen it, they're kind of talking about how like, um, like the how ha- like a haunted house sort of a thing has like a memory and it kind of um, is in tune with a certain spirit um, yeah, and sort it's of a trauma. Bit that, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And um, we know we know like the person. Also- who- sure. Go ahead
1: uh there's also like stone tape theory which is that locations record spirits and then replay them back um and then there's a there's uh there's a sci-fi film from the 90s i think called i think it's called demon seed where a uh, an apartment block or an office block becomes sentient and uh starts killing people so so it's it sort of it's been done the sort of the haunted house the the ghost is the house rather than a ghost living in a house um yeah yeah and but actually, i like the way, way that they've done it in this yeah sorry carry on yeah no um
0: i was just remembering there was a movie i saw about like a year and a half ago and i can't remember the title but um the, basically the concept was that it was like an electrical glitch but this electrical okay. glitch was sort of like conscious and sentient and it just made life hell for this little family that just kind of moved into a new house. It wasn't really anything supernatural, like it wasn't like a demon or a ghost or like any or a spirit or anything. It was just like, but it, the way it would cause things, everything was sort of plausibly deniable. Like at one point, um, like the garage door opener breaks while the kids in the garage, and then the car just happens to accidentally turn on because the key was in the ignition, and it starts filling up with like carbon monoxide. Or dioxide and only by like the nick of time do they actually save the kid from suffocating but it's like when they bring in the inspectors they go well it was just like an accident you know it was just like yeah. a one in a billion chance but they're like this keeps happening over and over um
1: sounds the, like final, in- I, I mean i haven't seen the film you're talking about but it sounds like the final destination where they're haunted by death itself They cheap death by accident and then get hunted down by the spirit of death
0: yeah yeah it's like sort of like Just sort of like random things keep happening um and uh yeah so carrying on we uh mr jeffries is trapped in the elevator and uh not far away there's another elevator shaft where we've got uh puck and shaman sort of opening it up and flying in but uh then they get caught in some kind of little like whirlwind uh that knocks shaman out cold and puck is sort of just like flailing around Uh, unable to
1: do anything. It's quite a nice little thing because Puck makes, uh, well he thinks this, that um, Shaman for all his power is actually weaker physically than Puck. It's just a nice little thing because Puck gets quite short thrift with um, Bill Mantler writing. So it's quite nice that um, that we've got this little thing here that shows that Puck's actually pretty tough. Um, Anything, any little thing like that I like to just like latch onto. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, Puck is a great, great little character. Um, you know, very scrappy. Um, it's kind of unfortunate, like, they they kind of uh, Mantlo sort of created that weird backstory about him being like, yeah, uh, like actually like a hundred a year, 109 years old or something like that. And also, yeah. he was like born yeah. normal height, but then sort of because of a magic genie curse, he yeah,
1: that that was a shame. Um, but yeah, uh, I still not covered that issue. I gave I gave the uh, a copy of that issue to a friend of mine because I thought she'd have a really interesting she'd have interesting things to say about it. But she's refused and she's kept the comic. So uh, yeah, <laughs> one day we'll come, one day we'll cover that. Um, so uh Puck and Charmin are being hurled around in I think it's in a lift, isn't it? They're in an elevator.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but...
1: And then North Star uh... decides to race around the house. But somehow the house is able to infinitely extend itself, so that he never gets to the end of it. Uh, And I like the idea of that. I'm not sure how it works on a practical level. Um, There's a bit House of Leaves. Have you read House of Leaves? Mm, uh, No, I don't think I have. Um, So in that, there's a there's a house which the it's got a a secret sort of inside dimension which can infinitely uh, shape itself. So it's a bit like that. I mean, it's a good uh what we're looking at 10 15 years before house of leaves but yeah i think that's the the sort of logic we need to need to assume we're dealing with
0: Mm -hmm. there's a nice uh, on that page you're talking about there's a nice little panel uh in the upper right hand corner where north star is sort of peeking around sort of putting his back up against the wall sort of peeking around the corner and there's Mm. a portrait of of his sister right up on the wall yeah. And I think I like that because it's very, it's almost noir, like in a way it's like very, um, thematic to the book as a whole. Like it doesn't really add like only people who've been reading Alpha Flight for a little while would kind of get that like, you know, his, his, uh, complicated relationship with his sister and sort of her glamour, mm. uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, like I can, I could just imagine like if, you know, him running down the hallway, it's sort of like that scene in Poltergeist where, uh, near the end of the movie where um the girl is being like sucked into the other dimension mm. and her mom's trying to run down the hallway and yeah. it's it's like sort of um i think it's like that camera angle it's there sort of that weird focus thing
1: uh yeah and I love the way, yeah i love the way they've done the way that uh this has been expressed in the comic because he's always in relation to the door he's the same distance so they've they put like they've uh, the way that they've decorated the corridor is that they've got these um, patterns along it. So you can see that he's always two blocks away from the door, but then they move him to the right and um, make it smaller. So they extend the space while keeping him in the same place. It's just, it's a really clever way of doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, cause it's like, you know, you, you I bet you Bill Mantlow had kind of like maybe watched poltergeist before he, uh, wrote this comic and he was just like yeah. how could i put that into a comic and like kind of make it convincing yeah. on the page
1: that makes sense uh, right i'm aware that we've only we've just got to page 15 and we've got <laughs> at least yeah. three quarters of the book left to go so um because there's uh, once we have got through this there's there's tons of stuff to talk about in here so sure. then we see um aurora is outside she's not looking Vindicator says oh my god i can't believe you're not looking um, they get sucked into the ground. So Aurora changed into Sasquatch to save her. Vindicator says, I can't believe you've turned into Sasquatch. That could turn you evil. Aurora says, uh, it might do, but not for a while. And then they start, the house all slams shut. They realise that the house is living somehow. They start trying to bash their way in. But um, every place that they impact, that bit of the house gets stronger. Uh, then we flip to... Uh, this really interesting scene with uh, Aurora is in the swimming pool. So considering they should be looking for the source of the earthquake or whatever it is, Aurora and Roger have decided to go swimming. Uh, Aurora is in her bikini, obviously, uh, Mm -hmm. and Roger is just swimming about. And then the box suit, which has been standing next to the pool starts falling over Roger throws Aurora out of the way gets crushed by the robot under the pool and then Aurora gets sucked into the mirror um, so then now she's stuck in a mirror dimension uh, box um, phases into his robot and jumps out of the pool and then we find oh and then we get to Diablo who's just been zapped through the phone line into the house um, and. I love this take on Diablo because with sort of minor baddies like this, they get written in all sorts of funny ways depending on who's writing them. But in this, he's just written as like this, like this coward, this desperate coward. He's just well, like yeah. trying to get out.
0: Yeah. And it's sort of like Diablo's sort of like whole take on this whole uh, sequence. Like, I don't know where he sort of was in Marvel continuity at the time, but like his whole sort of take is that like, I have fought superheroes, you know, since like the Fantastic Four, because yeah. I, like, I guess he was like in a he was holed up in a castle for 100 years or something. And then he's,
1: well, he's, supposedly fighting... a, he's a thousand years old uh, and he through alchemical means he's able to prolong his life that long. So, so he's been alive for a thousand years. He's learned alchemy. And then um, he's a Fantastic Four baddie and he got beaten up so soundly by the fantastic form put in prison that he's decided that he's not going to be a baddie anymore because he's tired of the stress um and that's where we find him in this comic um with him sort of uh he runs into box in the in the corridor and is like i do not want any part of this oh no it's got it here so um in this little caption Uh, on page 23 it says sent to prison after a sound thrashing by the fantastic four he's sworn to reform at least to the extent that he would never be so stupid as to oppose super beings again and that caption is sat above box going to punch him (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah it's really good but then the walls sort of crush box in and trap him allowing him to run away and a secret door opens and we see the ghost say this way beloved Uh, yes uh, yeah and so then um diablo
0: kind of gets goes through the door uh there's a little laboratory with some beakers and uh, chemicals and alchemy sort of happening and then out of the beakers a form begins to arise and it is none other than gilded lily um the villain from alpha flight 20 and 21
1: i think that's uh, that's about right yeah
0: i think that's it yeah and uh This is the reunion of the two lovers. Uh, Diablo had taught Gilded Lily, which I think her name is, like, Lillian Van Lute or something like that. Something. She was Uh, a Victorian lady who had... uh, Just a little tiny bit of backstory if you hadn't read those issues. Um, She was a Victorian lady who had met Diablo. And uh, she kind of, like, found him in a a horse carriage accident or something. And he brought her he brought her back and he taught her alchemy Uh, but before they were supposed to take over the world he got locked up in his castle for a hundred years and she went to British Columbia and sort of created like this house of horrors to kind of like I basically like uh, guild all of her ex-boyfriends and turn them into gold and turn them into these little gold all of her husbands yeah
1: she was a classic black
0: widow yeah yeah and she's got this very like like, Yes, yes, and she has this like gold, uh, this gold mask that sort of looks like, like a flapper from the twenties or something like that.
1: Yeah, and it's so, a really effective look, and uh, she's got this big hood which makes it look like her face is like the anther of a lily. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then uh, we don't actually get to see it very much in this comic, but under the robes, she's just like a really skeletal robot. Um. Yeah, but she's very, she's like creepy, but also glamorous at the same time. So that, that sort of 1920s haircut um, is sort of a glamour thing. Um, and then she embraces Diablo. He's not particularly happy to see her, uh, but then she um, alchemically puts his costume onto him, um, which is uh, a good use of powers. They do a quick rundown of of how she got here, which was that um, uh, Sasquatch, um, I can't remember exactly what it did, but basically um, she shriveled away to nothing, but then the dust of her desiccating body fused with the house, which is why she's able to control the house now. Um, it's almost like uh, her. the house is
0: sort of like a horcrux or something like that from like Harry Potter or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, And then she she reveals her grand plan, which is to get Diablo to use his power to bring her uh, body. Uh, And her grand plan is to use I think it's at this point, she says, but she wants to use Aurora's body Um, and she wants to put her consciousness in there. And he's and he says, no way, I'm not helping you. uh what does he say? I'm not sure I want to be joined to some century old female fury who's every bit my alchemical equal. It's just, just like the most uh uh what's the word I'm looking for? Um, eloquent way to dump someone who's just broken you out of prison. <laughs> um,
0: uh, I mean he didn't yeah. really
1: ask to be broke out of prison, to be fair, but uh um, no, no.
0: Yeah, but uh like he was kind of um it's kind of, he is being, you know, it is a bit put upon him, but he is sort of like, you know, Oh, I don't know if I want to, you know, he's, he sort of says here, uh, yeah, he's all chemical equal. And so he's basically kind of measuring up his powers against hers. And he's thinking like, Oh, you know, maybe, you know, it was fine to date her back when I was the master, the master, but now it's like, it's sort of like a Vader kind of Palpatine thing going on where it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to date her if uh, she's more powerful than I am.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Lily really doesn't take this well, you know, and you get this big, what kind of thing. It's so loud, you can hear it outside the house. The mansion quakes, Um, and I guess in this moment of distraction, uh, Vindicator and um, uh, Aurora uh, Aurora are able to, no, not Aurora. uh, Snowbird. Snowbird. They're able to break back into the house, and all of the other members of Alpha Flight that are trapped in their various uh, places are able to break free. Um, Sasquatch and Puck, Mr. Jeffries, and Box, and uh, Northstar, they all break free in one big panel. Mm. So they're all kind of like on their way to get the bad guys. And uh, then we get back to Gilded Lily and Diablo kind of having a really bad
1: lover uh, lover spat. Yeah. Uh, And she says, you will help me. And he says, I won't. And then she says, either you help me or I'll let them have you. And he says, what? And he looks over and Alpha Flight rushing through the door. So she's basically threatening him with Alpha Flight. Um, So and he starts having a freak out uh, and he's like, yeah, I will help you. (laughs) Um, No, sorry. He says. uh, He says, "I, I will use my weapons. Um, and then she says, well, she kind of gets
0: in a little dig at him here. Well, she, cause it says here, it's like, he says, I'm still Diablo master of alchemy. You've restored my potions, my weapons, like yeah. saying like, Oh, I can take alpha flight. And then she kind of says to him, none of which have ever one of you have anything in the defeat in the past. Maybe yeah. curse you. So yeah. it's sort of like, you know, sort of like when couples break up, like they're starting to get the, uh, the digs in and uh, there's a little <laughs> bit
1: of passive aggressiveness going on here a little uh, bit and so then she says um uh, i'll save you from them and he says all right i'll do it so then she sort of like creates a portal in the floor which she they sink through uh, leaving alpha flight stuck and uh, unable to get to them um and then i think my favorite bit in the comic here so there's there's two reasons why it's my favorite bit in the comic one is that um we've got this really cool thing where you can see gilded lily and aurora on the other side of the mirror um and they're sort of in negative which is interesting in itself um and gilded lily explains that she wants to have her uh consciousness put into aurora's body and then Diablo's like well if you're going to look like her maybe i will help you out this is this my this is a really good idea um yeah but then Uh, He is uh, Alpha Flight burst in through the wall uh, because they found him. Um, And what happens next? Uh, Uh, They all have a big fight.
0: (laughs) And then Gilded Lily uh, creates a little sandstorm to kind of like uh, sort of like uh, confuse everybody. And uh, they're yeah they're in a little dust storm. They they're trapped in this underground basement. Gilded Lily's got her hands on Aurora's throat she's uh she's telling uh diablo to hurry up while there's still time and so he starts going over to his lab experiments he's getting
1: his test tubes to do the process yeah looking terrified the whole time as well so he's not enjoying himself um which is a nice touch uh and uh yeah a gilded lily keeps on attacking um, Heather uses her powers to break free of the sandstorm, uh, and she she does one of the like, electric charges things, um, and then they all rush the mirror again. Oh, and, and so Diablo has created a potion, which if it's given to Aurora, will transfer. I don't know how alchemy works. I'm pretty sure it's not like this. But if he gives the potion to Aurora, then Gilded Lily's consciousness will transfer into Aurora's body. Uh, But before he's able to pass over, Northstar and Puck attack him and the test tube goes flying towards the mirror and then Gilded Lily reaches out of the mirror to catch it and when she does, Aurora turns on her blinding light thing, catches the test tube and drinks the potion. Oh, no, she doesn't. Sorry. She chucks the potion um, down Gilded Lily. That's right.
0: Yeah, she she kind of turns the tables on Gilded Lily, grabs her by the neck, and then forces the potion down Gilded Lily's throat, uh, which causes Gilded Lily to gurgle, no, and then she begins to disintegrate. um, That's right. As uh, Aurora escapes the mirror.
1: And then that's it. Uh, there's yeah. just one page where th- um, the Mounties turn up on a boat, and they put Diablo on the boat. To me, this immediately struck me because I've, I've said before I'm not a fan. of I, I'm not interested in like chasing down plot holes exactly, but I'm sure the Mounties coming in like a little like it's not a very fancy boat. I'm sure Alpha Flight could have just flown Diablo back to New York pretty quickly. They've got a jet. Uh, this well, just seems I mean this maybe is,
0: maybe. like tamarind Island is in b c right, so yeah, that would be like on the west coast, like sort of closer to California,
1: Yeah, yeah's so really, kind of, like really miles away
0: he's kind of crossed a whole continent here, so probably more like more than likely in, in a prisoner exchange the the r c m p would take him back to probably like Seattle or something like that, like they'd take him <laughs> yeah. back over to something like there, um but yeah, no, it's just a tiny little like. Both that you'd go like you know on the lake on uh and yeah, and it, no he's it's not like he's like a dangerous criminal or anything like that who's like defeated the you know gone up against the fantastic four and others, like they've just got him in like these little bars, and it's like, yeah, it just takes two officers to uh yeah take him back into custody,
1: yeah, uh, considering he didn't want to be broken out of prison in the first place, um yeah, but that's how that's how it ends, and they all go home, uh and that's the that's the issue um so uh now that we've been through that the the next two points are what did you really like about this comic and was there anything that you didn't like about the comic
0: well um i would say what something i really liked about the comic um i really liked larry strowman's art uh i really liked the kind of spooky sort of architecture he really gives the um the mansion uh he gives a lot of these like very like sinister kind of angles um long corridors uh shots of like through mirrors um candles in the background stuff like that
1: yeah um, and he, I, he's really I really like... give a
0: sense of atmosphere to it
1: he is yeah so he's i think because he did the layouts and then uh jerry taylor did the inking the embellishing right and i th- i really like larry strowman's work on this i think he does a brilliant job i do think that they could have afforded to be a bit bolder in the inking. Um, I think it would have been more atmospheric if they'd used more ink. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe yeah. they were hoping that the colouring would would pick up some of the slack, but uh, yeah, but that, that's my one criticism of the art. I think that they could have um, done more work on embellishing it, or maybe the colour colourist um, could have done more with it, I'm not sure. Um, but in terms of storytelling, yeah. um, I, mean, I, think, coloring I think they is, do an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Karen.
0: certainly. You yeah, know, in some ways, the art kind of reminds me a lot of like um, Mike Mignola's sort of air, uh, work around this time. Like, mm. um, if you look at like some of his like sort of pre Hellboy Marvel work, like even in Alpha Flake, because I think he did two issues of Alpha Flake. at did, yeah.
1: One point. And then covers for a while, yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, you can kind of get a little bit of almost Hellboy sort of thing going on. I mean, even right down to like say the Gilded Lily character, which in many ways reminds me a lot of like uh, the Cronin character from Hellboy.
1: Um, I've not read any Hellboy, so um, you've got one. If I you ever there. see them, yeah. If you ever see the movie, there's a
0: the character, that character's in the first movie. Um, it's sort of this, he was this Nazi who had done all oh, these these like, experiments. The,
1: this, this uh, the uh, clockwork Nazi. Is that the one? Yes, yes. Yeah. that's the guy. That's the guy. Yeah.
0: In fact, he probably reminds me most of Gilded Lily than any other character I can kind of think of. Yeah. Sort of has done so many experiments to their body over so many years that they've there's nothing really left but dust in their veins, and it's all kind of like just mechanical, a little bit of wire here and there. Hmm. Um, yeah, but no, but the ink, like the a lot of the artwork, kind of reminds me a lot of early Mignola, Um, but like I said, pre Hellboy. Uh, yeah, other things I like. Um, yeah, I just, I, I like that I get, you kind of get a sense of the characters. Um, like if this was your, if like I said, if this was the only Alpha Flight comic you bought in a year, you're kind of brought sort of up to date with what the characters are all about. You get yeah. a yeah. sense of the characters. They're not sort of flattened out. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, because in, I think in many comics, like, especially if it's, you've only read one, it's like, you know what is the relationship between all these characters, and that's a
1: it's something I really like in this comic. Yeah, I th- and often with annuals, or at least my experience of annuals, they, they will take the opportunity to focus in on one character from a team. Um, and I, I don't know if this is true. I've, I've not read that many super uh, team book annuals, but they tend to focus on one character because it's easier to tell a story about one character than it is. Uh, I think American writers are used to having a lot of space to to create a story with a character. Um whereas confining them all to one story or one plot is quite difficult. And I suppose one way around that is that they focused the they've done that but with Gilded Lily. So Gilded Lily is the focus of the story. Uh and the characters reacting to her. So it's it's her arc, I guess. Um
0: Yeah. Like if you think about it, this could kind of like this is like kind of the sequel to like burns story and this is yeah. kind of like the follow-up to that uh, the original gilded lily story as well as like tying in the mythology of like how diablo kind of fit into all that so this kind of like wraps up two different plot lines in two different books like this wraps up some fantastic Four stuff as well um
1: yeah. and things, the other thing that i yeah. really like about this also is that it's um it feels substantial like it's a, it's a good solid story But I've just realized as we're talking about it, that it doesn't change anything at all about continuity in terms of how the characters are. So Mm -hmm. Gilded Lily is still dead at the end of it. Diablo is still in prison and nothing substantial has happened to any of Alpha Flight. Um, All we know is that there was a ghost in the house at one point and it's not there anymore. Um, So in terms of how an annual should work, I think it's really good. It's really self-contained. But at the same time, it feels it feels worthwhile reading it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely feel like you got your money's worth out of it. And, you know, you might, even if you didn't really, you know, care for it too much, at least you're like, well, at least I don't have to get invested in like a whole year's worth of, like the next year's worth of storylines to kind of get caught up. Um, Something I don't really like Mm -hmm. is um, it, it kind of feels like as the, as the book kind of goes on that he's sort of rushing. And I don't know if that's Larry Stroman doing that or if that's Bill Mantlow. because well, if this was done I... sort of like yeah.
1: Now go on. You you say what you want to say.
0: Oh, so like if this was done sort of like Marvel method, like I was just um, I was just watching a podcast last night. Um, have you ever heard of the Cartoonist Kayfabe podcast?
1: I've heard of it. I've not. I've not watched any or listened to any now.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, they were kind of going over. Uh. That's Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg's podcast, and they were kind of mm. going over. An old spider-man annual from the 80s it was one done by um art adams and right. there was a backup feature that was done by mike maniola and they were kind of saying that like the first couple of pages of the story are great and it's very open and the characters kind of have like a lot of room to express and it's that maniola art where he's very like you know expressive and um you know there's not a lot of captions not even a lot of words and it's like they, it really lets the art tell the story But then it's Mm. like once they pulled to the last page, it kind of was just like like six panel, like six kind of stacked on each other panels with a lot of captions and a lot of text. And it's sort of like if this was done like Marvel method, it's like Bill Mantlo might have given Larry Strowman an outline. And then it was like, oh, shoot, I'm at the end of the story. I got to like, you know, kind of wrap things up. And it's like,
1: yeah. So I wasn't really I wasn't really that familiar with Larry Strowman at all. Uh, so after I read this, I went back and um just Googled him quickly and spent a lot of time just scrolling through his Facebook page, which is fascinating. Um he comes across as a really like cool person, the sort of creator that you could I could just really get behind. It just seems like really uh with it. But in mm-hmm. somewhere in, in these stories he was saying about he liked working Marvel method, but that what he'd do is he draw the first two pages and the last two pages and then work out the middle afterwards. Oh, uh, then, that's that was That was his way of, of forcing the pacing. But I agree that it does end pretty abruptly. So whether or not he did that in this, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it does end really abruptly. Um, sort of reminds me of like uh, an episode of the A-Team or something like one of those action TV programmes like where, magnum pi or something like that yeah where the ending is really abrupt so they, they spend a lot of time at the start sort of mucking about but at the same time i think it's i think it's paced pretty well um and i like the fact that they spend time doing this sort of spooky pacing at the start and and spending time trying to build up an atmosphere uh and and get the reader asking questions about what might be happening uh i really like that about it yeah yeah definitely
0: um another thing i didn't really understand is like why are aurora and box just like having a a little pool party in the middle of a crisis
1: (laughs) yeah there there was that yeah um yeah yeah uh and And then it kind of gives
0: them an excuse to kind of keep aurora in
1: her uh in her bikini um, bikini. i think that might be part of it um the other part of it is this uh i quite like the scene though just th- there's the one page page 19 before the rest of it starts happening where roger is questioning whether or not why uh, they, they're talking about the fact that north star doesn't like him um and it's quite a nice scene between them you know we know from future issues that it doesn't get well for the two of them um but when told on these terms, it's 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 all right. I think their relationship seems quite healthy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. So is and, uh, so you know a little bit more about this than I do. Um, is is Aurora dating Box because she wants to like because she's actually into Box, or is she kind of got like ulterior well, motives?
1: That, that's a big question in the story: whether or not. She's on the rebound from Walter, because Walter got killed um, when they tried to bring Hulk, there's a whole thing, but Walter got killed. And um, so she's on the rebound from him, and she's rebounded onto onto Roger Box, and it's not really clear if she's actually attracted to him, or if she's just sort of emotionally using him. And it is very grey, which, depending on your view of comic book storytelling, is either a positive or a negative um it's not if it it doesn't cast aurora in a particularly uh positive light uh if she is just using him uh consciously or unconsciously but i think it's all it's also a human thing to do like people do that in real life so um and there's also the gray area around north star as well because he says some horrific things about um about Roger Box earlier in the in the comic, uh when they're sat around the table. Um he is genuinely nasty. I mean uh, even for can... like even for the eighties, like some
0: of the stuff he says like, you know, he, he is pretty egregious. Um yeah. like what does he refer to him as like uh like he's like a half a half a man or something like that. And um yeah, like, he says, where call, is he, like he calls him like a cripple and stuff like that. And it's just like
1: I mean, yes. you know, how can where... my sister Aurora fawn so over a cripple? Um, and he makes some he makes some other comments as well. Um and again, because North Star's a dick. Uh there's <laughs> part of one of the fundamental areas of his character is is just he's overprotective of his sister. He is desperate for her attention, and um he's a dick with it. So um yeah, so it is is it's an interesting characterization because you feel um you feel some sympathy towards him and also horrified by how he expresses his emotions. Um yeah, I think they're quite the the one characterization that I don't like too much. Mr. Jeffries doesn't get enough time. He's my favorite character. He's barely in it. And also Heather is they've Mantlo set up as this sort of motherly character who's who's got cool recipes that everyone can get in, and she's sort of like mothering everyone. Yeah. Um, also,
0: the house is kind of like a Jetson house where like she can actually like she talks about like punching up a recipe. and yeah. I guess they have like a I don't know like a Star Trek replicator where they can just like you know. Pull it open a box and, like, you know, meal comes out, Um, which is like pretty, you know, impressive. Oh, also, there's a little reference here about why Puck has his name Puck, and uh, they're at the dinner table and he's reading Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, and he's like, What are you reading? It's like, Oh, yeah, this is Shakespeare. And so he's actually, it's confirmed, I don't know if it was confirmed earlier, but it is confirmed that he is named after. The Shakespearean character, and not. Well, it says it's his
1: namesake puck, yeah. But um, there's I don't know if you've read Immortal Hulk, which is more recent. But there's a really nice line in there. Where he introduces himself to someone who says, "My my name's Puck. Sometimes it's Shakespeare, and sometimes it's because uh, it's like a hockey puck. So it, it's both of those things, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure when Byrne created him, it was more to do with the ho- hockey puck thing, because he he looks a bit like a hockey puck when he's in his costume as well. So,
0: also the uh, way he moves is very like. Because like if you've ever seen a hockey game, he sort of like a hockey puck kinda of, like bounces all around, like it'll hit yeah. off the it'll hit off um a stick and hit off the edge, and it's sort of the way that Byrne would draw him is he's sort of like a very bouncy character, like hitting yeah. off the walls and stuff like that.
1: Even down to that spinning movie does where he sort of he cartwheels and he turns oh. into a circle on the page. That's that's puckish. Mm-hmm yeah
0: he's not so much like mischievous though like he's not like
1: a no he he hasn't got the characteristics of the of the Shakespearean puck so so maybe it's not as much shakespearean as as the writers like to to pretend maybe they're just uh, trying to be
0: uh you know they're trying to inflate themselves or something like that. It's like oh, we've got <laughs>
1: literary merit here um but John Byrne introduced that when Puck had his own solo adventure in issue five he's reading Shakespeare then. Uh, and it surprises all the nurses because they can't understand why somebody would, uh, why a superhero would be re- like, yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, yeah. So was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with this issue?
0: Um, not really. Uh, I thought it was a really solid issue. Um, it would have been a good worth for your money. The only other thing I, I just wanted to mention uh, before I let you go ahead and talk is that um. This when this came out in September of nineteen eighty-six. Yeah. This was yeah. one of three Alpha Flight stories that were on the newsstands at the time. That's right. Yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. There was a the other the main Alpha Flight series uh book, which I think was like thirty thirty-eight was also so on. It would
1: have been around there, yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. And also Marvel uh fanfare number twenty-eight, which featured a North Star. Aurora and Vindicator story done by uh, Bill Mantlo and Ken Stacy of yeah. um, I think that's Nexus Fame.
1: So the, yeah, this was the that's month the one of the that's where, one where like, they, they were play ready. around. So that, that's the issue where they play around with him being a terrorist, I think. Um, and he's, he's sort of haunted by his past. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. With his, that's I one with him on right. the cover, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like him on the cover and he's being like grabbed by a robot or something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no. So that really it seems like this is the month that Marvel was really pushing Alpha Flight as a as a team. Like so you could make an argument that maybe this was like the peak of Alpha Flight's popularity. Um, The fact that
1: they're in three stories in one month, Um, like, you know, how many other. I think think maybe you could you could argue that way. You could also argue that the peak of its popularity is when John Byrne was on it and when he left sales started dropping so this could be marvel's way of trying to like regenerate some interest um it's interesting because I i wasn't i was around at the time but i was only six so um and i wasn't reading comics and i lived in in wales where we didn't get comics so um yeah it would be difficult for me to say with any accuracy what was going on but it is interesting that there was that much Alpha Flight, considering there were fewer comics as well. It's not like nowadays when you've got 10 Deadpools a month. Um, and is it two X-Men a week? Is that how often House of Powers think, comes?
0: Yeah, there's like three <laughs> or four. I think there's like six now. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I, I've heard good things about the new X-Men, like, uh, but I haven't read it yet. No. So here. yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for maybe it, a trade right.
1: to come out to pick that up yeah um yeah right so i haven't got much else to say i think most of what i wanted to say i've interjected into whatever you were trying to say
0: uh,
1: oh, no. yeah. um yeah so, uh, oh, as, so as i did say- want
0: to mention sorry uh sorry to interrupt i did want to mention yeah. one other thing like diablo as a villain um i kind of i'm sort of familiar with him because i remember seeing an episode of the cartoon, the fantastic four, which was the sixties cartoon. Mm. And he was sort of a villain in that. And that was like an adaptation of his first appearance. And uh, his alchemy is kind of depicted in that as like, um, you know, he can kind of like mess with people's minds. He sort of creates a potion to make the thing look a little more handsome. And uh, he uses that to like make the thing turn against the other fantastic four and kind of become his servant. Um, which you know, and then eventually it doesn't work. It's like it's all a facade. And he does other things, like he makes like corn grow in the desert, and uh, he creates like a, an elixir that makes tanks uh,
1: invulnerable to bullets and uh, and shells <laughs> and all that. Well, because the other time that we've talked about Diablo on this podcast was when me and Douglas Noble did, uh, I think it's '82, uh, when Diablo comes back and he has taken over a South American um state south american country and in that he's manic he is very over the top evil uh he like melts people where they stand and um he is all over the shop psychologically um and that's it is so it's, it's the same character in two ways and both ways i like him so in in that version he his over the top evilness is a nice counterpoint to the action going on around him um, whereas in this i love how how cowardly he is and how what a rubbish baddie he is and that he just rushes around desperately trying to get out of trouble until he sees that it might um, work to his benefit to sort of get in with his terrifying robot ex-girlfriend because um, he might end up with Aurora as his girlfriend uh, and then that moment of indecision is what loses it i, I just really like that characterization of him
0: yeah, totally. Um, like I remember, like in the old cartoon, which was like kind of based very directly off of like Stanley and Jack Kirby's sort of vision. He's very um, manipulative of the thing, and he's sort of like t- uh, treating him like, "Oh, I'm your real friend." But in some ways, it's kind of like an early parable about drug use. Like he's kind of keep- keeps feeding the thing this elixir, and the thing saying, "I feel sick," and he's like, "Oh, it's okay, buddy. You know, I'll." Uh, <laughs> you know it it works and then he doesn't take the the elixir and he turns back and it's like you lied to me and he's like get back you fool and he immediately turns on him so he's kind of a very odd villain because he's like he is part of that like classic lineup of like fantastic four villains but like he's very i don't think he's hardly been um put in many like adaptations and a lot of people seem to go very different ways with him like it's not like there's a set formula like with dr doom or like the Mole Man, like there's a very sort of like set idea about what that character is and what they're all about, but yeah, not so much with Diablo, which kind of makes him sort of interesting because you can do uh strange
1: adaptations and takes yeah. on him. But his costume is bonkers. And so if you tried to put so for instance, if you think about characters moving into the Marvel cinematic universe, Diablo you'd have to do a lot of work to make Diablo work in anything other than a comic and maybe he'd work in a cartoon but if you were to put someone with his sort of power set his like potions and stuff which can do anything he wants to um wearing these clothes anywhere but drawn it would be ridiculous i think uh, and that's what I, that's one of the reasons i like him um yeah he's he's one of those characters which i see him on the cover of a comic i would i consider buying the comic just off the bat um, same as um, Doc Ock or Two Face. Do you know what I mean? You just see them. You're like, yeah, yeah. That, he's just like one of those
0: very, yeah, yeah. He's just like very one of one of those like very like over the top dramatic kind of supervillains. Um, it's not like he's not subtle in any way. Um, what you're saying, like to his powers though, like his, you're right. His powers don't make any sense. Like it's apparently he he's an elemental. He can control the elements, but he can also whip up a little green goo that can like uh transfer people's souls somehow yeah and it's sort of like maybe it's one of those things because like i remember somebody it was like joe casada saying about dr strange this was like in the mid 2000s he was saying like the reason we don't have like a doctor strange comic going on right now is because i don't like the character because he can kind of do anything and there's Mm. no rules about him and he gave he gave the counterpoint. He says, if you look at, like, a movie like Toy Story, there's rules as to how the magic works. Like, there's rules to the to the universe. There's rules of, like, to how, like, the char- like the, the toys will always, like, you know, pretend to be asleep or be motionless when there's people in the room. And yeah. everybody agrees yeah. on that. Uh, whereas he says, like, magic characters in the Marvel Universe, there's no rules and they can kind of get away with anything. And he doesn't think he didn't think that that was interesting stories.
1: Hmm which is the only doctor strange i've read uh like end to end is the um more recent ones with um chris in the art and and in that the rules was because doctor strange had been so um like rampant and rash with how he used magic that he was getting hit by the repercussions of that like um and like he um there's uh uh what's the phrase i'm looking for like what goes around comes around so the more magic he uses the the more it punishes him mm-hmm. uh, and that was quite a good take on it but we're not here to talk about dr strange uh a book that i read three years ago and barely remember um <laughs> i am gonna have to uh stop the call now um okay. because <laughs> sorry that's a re- i hate ending the podcast but otherwise i'd sit here for hours and as i explained to you before we started i'm in a really really hot room i know it's winter outside but in here um i've got a sweat on nobody needs to know that um but i'm too lazy to edit out um (laughs) uh, but yeah so thank you so much for coming on um i've really enjoyed doing this um if people have you anything to plug and if anybody would like to find you on the internet out of this where could they do that
0: Uh, I don't really have anything to plug right now. Uh, If you want to see any of my past written reviews, I've done reviews on um, dcinthe80s.com. If you look me up, I've done reviews on the DC miniseries Legends, which is another John Byrne book. Um, I had a lot to say about that. I've also done some interviews with Chris Pacello, who you mentioned. Um, And I interviewed uh, Peter David two years ago at Fan Expo. uh, Sorry, at Niagara Falls Comic Con. Uh, If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Cerebus92 uh, on Twitter, um, Anthony Kuchar. Uh, Other than that, yeah, nothing else. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Gareth.
1: Oh, no, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Um, And if anybody wants to find me online, I am at Gerthink, which I think I'm just going to start saying at GRthink, because that's how people can process it mentally. and um yeah so if this episode comes out in time on the 8th of december i'll be at the catford comic and zine fair me and my son bill will be there um he was supposed to have a comic ready he absolutely will not because he's been too lazy he's 10 years old so he's got an excuse but either way uh we'll be there um also um since record since the last set of episodes came out i've had three comics come out so hill to cry home petal burn and bones of the sea um should be available for my store uh bones of the sea definitely will be but um petal burn and hill to cry home might have sold out by then because uh i didn't make many of them <laughs> rather than being super popular um but thank you very much for coming on anthony um and um yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I need to come up with a snappier way of closing down episodes than just sort of rambling on. Um, Maybe we should come up with like a catchphrase or something like that.
0: Like, um, yeah. like you could say something like, you know, don't forget to alpha or something like that. You know, <laughs> don't, you don't alpha before your flight or something like that. <laughs> just kind of some, some kind of like. Uh, some kind of like you know
1: slogan or something like that and I, I, think don't don't help Al- I think don't alpha before you flight might go on a t-shirt <laughs> 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 uh, right well thank you uh and i hope that uh anybody listening will join me again on another episode of alpha pod flight thank you and goodbye